You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning, Southridge. It's so good to be here with you this morning. As we continue in worship, I want to read a portion of the scripture from Romans chapter 12. It says here, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together on this, our nation's birthday. And we're so grateful for our nation. We're thankful for it. We're not a perfect nation, but Father, we are founded on biblical principles. And those principles stand firm as a rock in a storm. And so, Father, we pray and we ask that you would forgive us as a nation, that you would humble us, Father, that you'd be able to lift us back up. Your word says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And right now, the foundations of our great country are under assault. And so, Father, we ask that you would protect her, that you would guide her and strengthen her. But for that to happen, Father, it needs to start with God's people and God's house. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would use your word to instill inside of us and to inspire us to do more for you, to tell more people about you. And would you do a great work in our midst? We need a great revival. We need a great awakening, Father. We pray your blessing on this service. Thank you for God's people who have gathered here. And for those that are this their first time, we're so excited that they're here. May they receive from you exactly what they need. Holy Spirit, work in this room. Holy Spirit, move in our midst. We invite you now. We need you now. We pray this in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. God bless you for standing. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Welcome. Thank you so much, worship team. What a wonderful time worshiping our God together. And I want to say happy 4th of July. What a great Great opportunity to be together on this 4th of July Sunday. I'm looking forward to this time together, and it's going to be a great day. I hope that you're able to stay afterward. We are going to have some special things happening right after the service, so hopefully you're able to stick around for a little bit. And if this is your first time at Southridge, we're so excited that you are here. God bless you and welcome. We're so grateful that you're here. And if you have a copy of God's Word, would you open to the book of Revelation? It's an easy book to find. Just go to the end of your Bible and just kind of start there. Revelation, and we're going to be in chapter number 14, Revelation chapter number 14, and I'm going to read about 13 verses, and so bear with me as we read several verses together in this great book that we've been kind of studying, dissecting, and pulling apart, and let's begin reading in verse number one if we can, and then we'll unpack it together. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter number 14, verse one, then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion And with him, 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. 
They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins, and they are the ones who followed the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she has made all nations to drink of the wine and the wrath of her fornication. Then a third followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall torment with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, as they have no rest day or night. Who worships the beast in his image? And whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who kept the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. I hope you have a, a pen or a notepad or you're taking notes this morning. And I'd love for you to make a notation in your Bible this morning under that little phrase, and their works follow them. Their works follow them. I think this is, as I was coming across it, I, I looked at that and I was startled by that, right? Because it's not talking about our works save us. It's saying that our works follow us. You see, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not what we do. It's what God has done on the cross for us that allows us to have access to heaven and salvation. But what are these works that follow him? I want to unpack that very thought with this big idea this morning. And that is how to outlive your life. It's kind of a big idea, isn't it? How do you outlive your life? Uh, Let me ask you a question as we start out this morning. Is George Washington dead? Is Abraham Lincoln dead? Is William Wilberforce dead? Is Martin Luther King Jr. dead? You say yes, but I say no. You say, Pastor, I don't know what pills you're on. I don't know what you're smoking. But I assure you, there are monuments built to them, and their bones are in there. No, I believe their works follow them. I actually believe that their influence continues on today. And they're actually not dead. For every person alive knows of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and William Wilberforce and and, and, and Martin Luther King Jr. and, and, and Billy Graham. You know these people. And at this moment, you would say they are dead. But yet I would dare say that no, they are not dead because their impact and a bigger word, their influence lives on. 
this is an important thought for you and I to remember this morning. Because there is something about when a, a, a good man or a good woman passes on, there is something that does not stay with them in the casket. And that's their influence. Your influence stays here. It doesn't go with you. Your works follow you. You see, there is an impact that you have, whether it's for good or for evil. Because we could also talk about Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Mao. We could talk about all these people, Pol Pot. You could talk about all these terrible people, Nero. And you could talk about these people that did atrocious things. And there is something that has not stayed in the casket with them. You see, your influence is immortal, is what I'm saying. Because your works follow you. Your influence stays here. You see, there is one thing you can't bury, and that is your influence. You see, I am who I am and where I am because of someone else, someone's influence on me. You are who you are, you are where you are because of somebody's influence, because our works follow us. Long after we passed away, there is something that still remains. There is a work that keeps on going. And that's what we're reading about here in Revelation 14. We're reading about people who they outlived their own lives. So I want to say this morning, don't just live and leave the earth. And I think sometimes it's easy to just live for the moment and not think about, am I leaving a legacy, a lasting impact? Because my works are going to come after me. My works are going to follow me. So what are my works? What is it that I'm doing that truly matters? I look at our country today as it's splintering and and turning upside. And and if I were to say I vote for this person, that's going to make some of you mad. And if I say I vote for the other person, that's going to make some of you glad. And and it's dividing people. And if I say what I I see from Scripture on certain issues and I speak loud about that, it's going to make some people happy. It's going to make some people upset. And we, we are divided about these things. And if I say certain things about certain nations and certain protests and certain situations, if I, if I speak out against culture, it starts to tear. Now, some of you, the, the parents and the adults, you say, well, yeah, I agree with the pastor, but yet there may be a younger generation that says, no, 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 I'm much more progressive than that. And they be, may, may say, no, 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 I, I see it very differently. And yet we have an influence that lives on. And I look at the state of our nation, and I'm thinking today on our birthday how people want to tear it apart. And as people say, this is a horrible place. And I think, I don't think they're actually really attacking the place. I think it's the biblical foundations it's built on. I think that's what truly offends them. I think it's our moorings that they want to disconnect and destroy. And so what does the Christian, the child of God, do in such a situation? We read about here in this passage, it tells us that there was 144, that they stood for right, that they had a name on their forehead, which is a name that, of their father. And Satan is the ultimate copycat, and so he tries to get a name and a mark. He tries to brand his own. But yet we need to realize this morning that we are called here to outlive our own lives, and that happens through our influence. You see, even when your life is over, your legacy should not be. That's why we believed in planting a church. Because we believe that our lives shouldn't just be here and then gone. We believe that we are called to leave a legacy, to leave an impact, to leave influence. To leave something better than when we found it. Remember that? Going over to somebody's house when you were younger and your parents would say that to you. Hey, leave that room better than you found it. 
I could say that about every situation in your life. Every person you come in contact, leave that person better than you found them. You say, well, my Starbucks barista, she was rude to me. Guess what? Fix her mood. You say, I know how to fix her mood. I got some choice words. Took my wife the other day. We went to uh, Campbell, and I had this coffee. And I, could, I, just, I just saw what was happening. I just saw the guy. I mean, a cup can only be filled so much before it overflows. And you would think there's a paid professional barista. He knows how to, what he's doing. And I'm just watching. And he fills it all up with just coffee. And I'd ask him for some milk in my coffee. And I can't drink straight coffee, all right? I have to doctor mine up, which means I need a bunch of sugar and creamer in it. Now, some of you guys that love pure coffee, you want that taste of coffee, I admire you. I can't do it. And I was like, it's already full. And this guy's surely not going to try to put the milk inside of the cup that's already full. Nope, this guy, a couple of fries short, a half meal, he starts to put milk in it. And I was just like brilliance, you know, just, just wow, you know, and then so he just looks at me, and I was like, I'm going to see what he does, I'm going to grab this cup of coffee, it's spilling all over my hand, hot coffee, it's just burning my hand, I'm just looking at him, just like, you really want me to take this, and he's like, you good, I was like, yeah, my hand's third degree burns, but I'm good, right, and I really wanted to give him some choice words, but I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, wait a minute, I need to leave people better than I found them, because I may be the only example of Jesus Christ that they have, Hey, you you look at your spouse, you need to leave your spouse better than when you got them. You look at your boss, you need to leave your boss better than you found him. You need to leave your church better than you found it. There should be something about leaving a legacy that today we've neglected. We just think we can come and go and not make an impact. But that's not how God created you. God created you for your works to come after you. God created you to have a lasting impact, a legacy. But yet today we live in a culture that just says live for the moment, live for the now. Who cares what's going to happen? I mean, I see it. I'm a little bit tired of just seeing trash all over our city. And what really makes me mad is when people reach in their pockets and out their door. And you say, man, why does that bother you, Pastor? Just let it go. I'm just thinking, no, because who's going to clean that up? Because... I always have to sanitize my hands before I greet you. You say, why? Because I'm in this parking lot picking up trash that other people leave. I'm thinking, have we lost the art that we need to leave this place better than we found it? But I don't just do it with trash. We do it with people. When you meet a person, is it something where this person treated me like this, so let me kick them while they're down, put them down, or can I lift this person up? Can I help this person be better? Because our work's going to come after us. Because we are called to leave a legacy. Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Martin Luther King Jr., they left a legacy. They left an impact. But yet, sometimes in the church, we just think that we're God's frozen chosen. Just circle the wagon. Just sit here and hold out to the rapture and don't do anything. Let's keep our little ideas to ourselves. Let's keep everything to ourselves. I'm like, no. We're called to something bigger. We're called to leave something for the next generation. We are called to make San Jose better than when we came to it. We are called to this area. We are called to make Santa Clara County better than when we found it. That's why we stand and we make a difference. And that's what this book is all about because there are some people that said, we are going to stand. Notice if you would, how do you outlive your life? First of all, it starts with devotions. Well, excuse me, let me rephrase it. Some of us have devotion before devotion. You say, what are you saying there, Pastor? See, there's a difference between doing devotions and having devotion. You know, we call something that we used, to, we used to do. I don't know if you call it like your quiet time, your time with God, your devotions. We call it maybe prayer and Bible reading. But what's crept into the church is we have devotions over devotion. 
What I mean by this is we kind of check off a list. Hey, I read my Bible, I prayed, I went to church. I'm good. So blankety blank, leave me alone. I read my Bible this morning, therefore I can treat my boss like garbage, my spouse like garbage. I can treat whoever because I had my devotions, but they don't have devotion. There's a difference. I can leave the country right now and I can be gone for two weeks, but yet am I still married to my wife for those two weeks? Absolutely. You say, but you haven't seen her in two weeks. No, but I'm still married to her. You see, you may miss your prayer and Bible reading for a couple weeks, but that should not be what the life is built on. There should be devotion to God, which is a posture of the heart. Now, prayer, Bible reading, church attendance, help the posture of the heart. So don't say, oh, it doesn't matter. It absolutely does matter. The posture of the heart is everything, but some of us, we don't ever even factor those in. This is why it's so encouraging, so good that you're at church, because it's people trying to positively influence you to grow closer to God. But what happened today is we've got a bunch of Christians who say, I did my devotions, but I don't ever tell anybody about Jesus. I don't actually follow what the Bible says. I don't live in its standards. The Bible has a standard, and guess what? Culture has a standard, and culture is at war with this God standard. I'm amazed at how many Christians are dropping the standard right now. I'm amazed, and I'm discouraged because I'm thinking, do they not know what this word says? Do they not know? Are they not following it that their works will come after them? Do they not know that right here, right now, we're supposed to leave a legacy for God? And so it's not, oh, I, I threw up a little verse on social media. That's great. That's great, but what is the posture of your heart? Only you know that. And so sometimes in the Christian world, devotions is at war with devotion. Because some of us have made the cop-out that we've said, hey, I read my Bible, I went to church, I'm good. Half of the United States says that they are Christian. I don't believe it for a second, do you? Look at our world, it's a mess. You can watch Heinous acts of violence happening on the streets in broad daylight, and nobody cares. You ever read the book of Judges where the Bible says at the end, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes? Those days are now. Have you seen that? There are people walking down the streets in San Francisco, walking down the streets in New York, getting mugged, jumped, all kinds. we got children in the room. There's worse things that are happening. And I'm just thinking, what's the world coming to? What is happening to this country, to the world. And I'm thinking, I know what it is. It's God's people. We've said, let's isolate ourselves, insulate ourselves. I did my devotions. Wait, no, it's devotion to God. It's devotion. When I have devotion to God, that changes everything about me because when I'm devoted to God, then when God says, hey, speak to your neighbor and tell him that Jesus loves him, all of a sudden you say, I'm devoted to God. I love God, so I'm going to speak to my neighbor. Because God will speak to you and say, hey, that was not kind what you said to your spouse. Oh, I'll fix it. I, I, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I want to have a strong marriage. Forgive me. I'm devoted to God. I'm devoted. Here's the wonderful thing about devotion. You don't ever have to question if somebody's devoted. You ever gone to the golf course? Some of you have. Some of you haven't. Probably a bad illustration. You can tell the people that are devoted. I mean, they got their shoes, they got the glove. I mean, they, are, they, they, they do stretches and everything, and they, they got all the expensive equipment. They are devoted. You don't have to wonder, ah, I bet this guy likes golf. I could go out in the parking lot, and I could go start looking at people's cars and be like, oh, yeah, we know who's into cars. 
That's not bad, but it's just evident in your life. What's amazing is it's rarely evident that we are devoted to Christ. And what's it going to take for us to finally be devoted? Let me give you a hypothetical. Let's suppose you could go back to Nazi Germany and you could hide the Jews. Would you do it? I know every single one of you would say yes. Let's say you could go back to the uh, civil rights movement in the 1960s and you could march with Dr. Martin Luther King. Would you do it? You say, sure, I would. Absolutely, in a heartbeat. That's a hypothetical. That's why you're saying yes. Let me give you real world. Persecution is worse today than it's ever been. Okay? There's more crime. There's more people in poverty. There's more people that need the gospel. That's not a hypothetical. 1.6 billion people live in poverty. 1.6 billion. But yet all the missionaries said, oh, man, this COVID thing. We've got to be careful. Really? What happened to our devotion to God? We say, you know what? I just finished reading my devotions, reading the book of Esther. Go to chapter 4, and if I perish, I perish. What happened to that kind of devotion? Because that goes counter devotions. Because I know you got your daily bread. Come on, I grew up in that daily bread. Where you get it on the kitchen table and you get it every month. You got your daily bread. I had my daily bread. Yes, some of your bread is stale and you need to get some fresh bread. Okay? Some of you need some new bread. Some of you need to say, you know what? That is not moving me out of this devotion versus devotional mindset. God has called his people to devotion. That's why nowhere in the scripture does it say, read the Bible. It only says meditate on it. There's a difference. Meditate means take it in. Let it affect the deep places, the recessed places. Let it change your mind. Let it change your heart. All of a sudden, when culture comes at you with something, you're going to say, I've been meditating on Scripture. And that doesn't align with what this word says. And I'm devoted to God first. Hey, I see your political agenda. I see it. But guess what? I'm devoted to this first. Hey, I see your ideology. You came out of that, 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 that the university. And I see you came out of that job. And I see you've been around those people. But guess what? I'm devoted to God first. And he, he trumps everything else. He takes precedent over everything else. Because I have devotion, not just devotions. You see, our works follow us. You say, hey, show it to me in the text. Show it to me. We found it in verse number one. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing in Mount Zion, and with him were 140,000 having his name written on their forehead. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of the harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. This, this idea of this new song, you say, why, why, what do you mean that word, new song? It means new in character. The only way I can explain it is this. It means they went through something that they could sing about. We make fun of country singers because they lose their dog, they lose their truck, they lose their girlfriend, then they write a song about it, okay? Every one of Taylor Swift's songs is because of some breakup, right? Nowadays, your truck has its own AI. It can take your girlfriend and your dog and just leave you. So that could really well happen pretty much. But understand, we write songs based on what has happened to us and what we're experiencing. These 144 wrote a new song, and the Bible says nobody else could sing it because of what they had been through. Because their devotion led them somewhere that wasn't leading other people. Hey, where's your devotion taking you? Would it take you to the mission field? Because when you have devotion, you'll say, God, if you take me to the mission field, I'll go. Will your devotion take you to a hostile work environment and say, hey, Sundays, that's God's day. 
I don't just think Chick-fil-A should worship God on Sunday. I think we all can worship God on Sunday. It's the Lord's day. I'm going to reserve it. I'm going to make sure it's holy. And it's not just Sunday. You say, hey, I need to be home with my family because I love my wife. I love my kids. I need to pour into them because I don't expect somebody else to be their husband. I don't expect somebody else to be their father. I expect to be the spiritual leader. So I need to be there. So I'm going to sing a song that nobody else can sing because of my experiences. See, the 144, they had a, a witness. They had a song that they could sing that nobody else could sing. It was a new song. How powerful that is. How amazing because of their experiences. Because it said, where will devotion take me? Where does your devotion take you? Last week, we heard a great testimony by Christine. She said, I'm devoted to God. So if I'm devoted to him, that means my wallet's devoted to him. So if he wants it, he gets it. If he wants my time, he gets it. That means I take my iCal or I take my calendar and say, God, it's yours. It means I take not just my treasures, not just my time, but God, my talents, and say, God, here's my talents. What do you want to do with it? Some of us are just sitting on all these talents, and we're looking at needs, and we're just thinking, well, no, I'm just going to sit here. And I would dare say that you need to say, God, I think my devotion's out of alignment. You see, you read in this passage, Babylon, Babylon, the great city has fallen. The one that led others to fornicate. Now, we use that word and we think, oh, that's a really harsh, strong word. What it means is that they worshipped and they got into other pagan, idolatrous things, that they started to worship other things as God, allowing other things. And that's exactly what Satan does. He gives you counterfeit Christ. He gives you something else that you can worship, something else you can point your attention on, something else to occupy your time, something else that you can focus on. And that's exactly what Satan does. And the church today has been woefully silent. Why? Because we've lost sight of our devotion and we wonder why we look at the world and say, wow, the world is corrupt. The world is evil. The world is wicked. The world is falling apart. I'm amazed at the things I see on TV. Amazed at the things I read in the newspaper. Who would have thought in our generation, in our time, we'd see this? Some people call it progression. I'm like, uh, excuse me, this is regression. We're going backwards, not forwards, my friend. Scripture is clear on these things. But yet we've got a, a culture, and I don't blame them because the spirit of the age has blinded them. So it's up to us to say our works are going to follow us. So I'm not living for this moment. I'm going to live to leave a legacy. I'm not just living to leave this planet. Just got to check in. You ever worked with that person? I'm just putting in the time. I don't get paid extra to do that. I don't want to do that. That's somebody else's job. Let somebody else worry about that. I'm just, I get paid the same whether I work hard or I don't. We got some Christians that are like, hey, I'm going to heaven whether I go to church or I don't go to church. Yeah, you are. Which works are following you. You see, I believe each person here says, I want to have an influence. I want people to remember me, not from my ego, but I want people to know that there was some mark that they left. Every husband, every father, that should be the desire of your heart, that you realize that I was created to leave a mark. I'm not just here and then gone tomorrow. I want people to know that I stood for something, that I fought for something, that I worked for something, and I left something to the next generation. And we've lost sight of that. And so we... We need to start with this devotion versus devotions. But then notice it doesn't just stay there. We see that these people, I love it in verse number four, these are the ones who were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. If you have a highlighter or a, 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 something, underline that, highlight that. 
They followed the lamb wherever he goes. I love it. It's simple. They were loyal to the lamb. How's your loyalty this morning? Loyal to the lamb? You say, I'm loyal to the lamb until I hit the club. Then the lamb has to stay outside with the bouncer. Because pandemic's been long and I'm cold and lonely. We laugh, but I kid you not, they're the things that are plaguing the church. The two biggest things that I'm seeing nowadays is people living together and the people doing weed. I meet more Christians that they, they look at those two and they're just kind of like, well, it's medicinal. You keep saying that and you keep telling yourself that. It's just like it's just adult entertainment. Oh, it's not, is it? See, Satan, it's a war of words, actually, is what it is. I know it's getting hot the 4th of July. I know it's hot. I know it's hot. I, I apologize, but then again, I don't because the Christian church is starting to take this vernacular that Satan is spoon-feeding us on changing these terms. Pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. Wow, that sounds so much like pro-life. It's pro-choice. Don't be against that. How could you be against that? All life is a gift from God. It comes from God. You say, oh, that's real big of you to speak as a man. I know. I know. Yes, I get it. But the truth is the truth. Thou shalt not kill. It's in the Bible. But yet we've got a culture that now, it's like, hmm. Hmm. I know it's getting quiet. I told you, you start saying some of this stuff, all of a sudden some people are like, man, I should have just gone to the lake. I should have just gone to that barbecue. I just said, I got to get home. You can hit the door now, Jack, if you really need to. But understand this. They were loyal to the lamb. Also, I love this other part. They were set aside to serve. See, they were dedicated to something. But we're running out of time. Skip down to verse number 12. I love this part. Here is the patience of the saints. How are those who kept the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus? I love this. Even in difficulty, they made a difference. You see that word here is the patience of the saints. You say, oh, isn't that nice? They were patient while they waited for their Starbucks coffee. They didn't honk at nobody in the drive-thru line. Oh, they were nice when they got to church and they let somebody else go before them and check their kids in and let somebody else get coffee and donuts. They were patient. That's not what the word means, my friend. It means to bear under the weight. I've taught you this before. You know what it means. This means that they were enduring an intense trial and struggle, but yet they remained. They endured. So they were under difficulty, and even in their difficulty, they said, we will still make a difference. You see, anybody can make a difference, but it's the ones who are embracing difficulty that still make a difference. There was a great president who wrote, it's easy to criticize the one who's in the arena fighting, but it's not the critic who counts. You see, I think some of us feel like the gift of criticism is a spiritual fruit. And I'm here to tell you, anybody can criticize. But I find the person that criticizes the least is the person that's toiling and working and saying, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm going to keep making a difference. I will not stop. I will not give up. I know our church isn't perfect. I know we may mess up, but our church has not stopped in seven and a half years. We kept on going. Even when they said shut it down, we said, hey, we will keep on going, persevering, because that's what people do. We say, God, I will persevere for you. I will keep going. And that's what I'm afraid the church is not ready for the tribulation. It's coming, but yet the church is like, we want easy street. 
I want nice air-conditioned buildings. I want everything comfortable. Give me a little pastor who gives me a nice little sermon, keeps it all nice and cushy and fluffy as we just watch the world just slip on into hell. Just let my neighborhoods burn. I didn't like them too much anyway. Never let me borrow a cup of sugar, a cup of milk. But here we are. Here we are, church. And we are under some difficulty. But that's where you see what God is producing through us. I'm studying the book of Job right now. And he said, and when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. That's when God does his greatest work. We talked about it even last Sunday, that you can't expect a crown without being crushed. That's where that Smyrna, that aroma comes from. So here we are this morning. We're saying, God, we need you as a nation. God, we need you as a people. But yet God's people are just so comfortably quiet and just so just, all right, apathetic. This is a moment for us to say, we're going to leave a legacy. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stand where others may fall. And we're not going to think we're better. We're just going to keep on standing. There was 144,000. Think of the population gains in our, in our world today. We're over 8 billion people. Why only 144? You say, well, that's prophecy, Pastor. And so God only allows 144. My friend, it means that God knows how many. 144, you're going to stand, that's it? 144? That God's going to use, like he used the Apostle Paul? It was only that many? My friend, we, we are horribly outnumbered, and we are watching culture just erode under our feet. What do we think we're going to leave this next generation? I look at all the fighting, I'm not here to, 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 to call anybody out. I'm just saying, if God's people, which are called by his name, will humble themselves, and to say, I'm done just doing devotions, and I'm going to start getting devoted. And when culture clashes with this book, I go with the book. But yet too many of us have been sitting under pastors who have been doing the devil's work and eroding the authority of God's word for year after year. So now people are like, eh, half the Bible we don't need. The Babylon Bee literally came out. I don't know if you guys read the Babylon Bee. It's satirical Christian humor. So take it with a grain of salt. But like they say, there's a little truth to all sarcasm, right? It said about a high-profile preacher that he finally was able to do it. He traveled back in time and got rid of the Old Testament. Because he's written a book about how you don't need it. And I'm afraid today that there are so many of us Christians that we just, we just slide right into it. We just slide right in. And my friend, we're called to stand. We're called to make a difference even when it's difficult, even when it's not easy. You see, influence is about improving the world around you. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who kept the commands and the faith of Jesus. I love it. Patience means they endured. Keep the commands means they embraced it. You say, well, the Ten Commandments, those are important. But understand, Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments and Two Commandments in John. He said, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. And to love one another as, as, love God and love others. The vertical and the horizontal, it covers all the commands. Because if you love God as you should, you'll live as you should. And if you love your neighbor as you should, you will live as you should. You won't walk into the Walgreens and just say, I'm going to take whatever I want. 
we are seeing things normalized in our culture that should never be normalized. I'm going to sound like an old fogey here. I hope you are watching what your kids are watching. Because I know many of you are strong Christians. But you are allowing the devil in through your homes, through the internet, and through what they're watching. And, and some of this stuff, even on the Disney Channel. You say, the Disney Channel, that used to be fun and wholesome. <laughs> My friend, you work so hard to get them in Christian school or homeschool or get them to Sunday school or to get them in church. And then you give them four or five hours of letting the execs at Disney influence them, and you wonder, why is my kid coming out, and all of a sudden they got gender dysphoria? They were helped by Disney. They were helped, my friend. They were helped. I don't want to get too much off of a tangent. I see that they endured, but they embraced. They kept the commands of God. (laughs) Faith of Jesus. What does that mean? You know, faith is really just an expectation of God to work. That's what faith really is. But it's not the expectation wrapped in entitlements. There's a difference between expectation and entitlements. You understand the difference, right? Any parent here understands entitlement. You've seen entitlement. And I'm not talking about, I have an expectation that God needs to give me a new Ferrari, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. That's not what we're talking about. But what I am saying is there is an expectation that God will work. And this expectation is my faith. It's an expectation built on past experiences. And those experiences do not have to be mine. I can borrow them from this book. And some of us, our faith is well served by getting in this book. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But here's the wonderful thing about faith, and let me just talk about it for a moment. You say, well, how does faith really work? And I was showing an amazing illustration this week. Any of you, uh, when you were younger, somebody give you a magnifying glass or a Coke bottle, and you would hold it up to the sun, and there would be little ants on the sidewalk, and you would start to roast them with the little magnifying glass or the little Coke bottle. You just angle the sun's rays just a little bit, and it would focus it. And all of a sudden, you just see these little things start to smoke and pop. You're so mean as a little kid. I can't believe you do that, but we're all probably guilty of that. You see, that's what faith does. The sun was always there, but it just needed to be focused through something. Your faith is saying, God, I need to focus your power in this situation in my life. God, I just need a little bit more heat right here in my marriage, right here in my city, right here in my job, right here in my, my, my war with my flesh and sin. God, I just need a little bit more power right here. And that's what faith does. Faith holds it up and says, God, just pour it down right in here. God, pour it down over the Santa Clara County. God, we need you. Oh, God, pour it down over the Bay Area. This place that that so many people have just given up on it to say it can't be done there. We just say, God, oh, we know that you could do it. The God who raises the dead, the God who splits the Red Sea, the God who can do all miracles, that nothing is too hard, that that God, I need you to do something. You see, unbelief is not just dangerous for the unbeliever. Unbelief is just as dangerous for the child of God. You see, unbelief to the non-Christian damns them to a life without Christ. But faith, a lack of faith because of our unbelief, it damns us to a life that God never wanted for us. Some of us, we say, man, the Christian life, the reason it's so easy for you not to go to church or, or just kind of kind of do it is because you haven't seen faith really enacted in your life. And I dare challenge you, you may need to put yourself in a faith zone where you say, I'm really stepping out. So you may say, you know what? I am so scared to witness my boss. He may fire me. 
you probably need to do that. You probably need to exercise your faith. You probably need to step out and say, this is the scariest thing. What am I doing? I can't believe I'm doing this. And let God just shine down that faith and that power in that moment. And all of a sudden, you're going to step back and be like, I didn't get fired. My boss got saved. Now they're going to church. Now his marriage is restored. Now his family's doing great. Wow. I'm so thankful that I followed his leading. I'm so thankful that the faith of God, that my faith in God was put to the test and he came on through. Some of you, ask yourself the question, when was the last time you put your faith to a test? You know it to be true. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. So when's the last time you tested your faith? We live in the Silicon Valley. As much as we hate to admit it, we're actually doing very well. We really are. You say, man, I don't know, Pastor. I only have two cars in my garage. I don't have three. Well, Pastor, you know, I only have three cars and a boat. That's certainly not enough. Maybe not enough for your neighbor, but... For the 1.6 billion people in the world who have nothing, you're doing amazingly well. And if you're starving, come talk to us. We will help you get groceries. If you need help, we will help you. God is so good to us. And so it's easy to never test our faith. It's easy for us to never say, God, I need my faith tested. I need to be challenged. You see, understand that we work for a cause, not for the applause. That's what we work for. We work so that God would be seen in us. Then finally, let's go back to verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they that rest from their labors and their works follow them. You see, the things you do for you are gone when you are gone. But what are the works that you are going to do that are going to follow you? What are the things that are going to leave a lasting impact? And really, it comes down to one simple thing. There is only one thing that is truly eternal in this world. And that is humans. That is souls. It's what we do for each other. But Satan's got us so busy fighting each other. I know that when I step on a platform, if I say who I voted for, some of you will leave the church or you're going to get mad at me. And I think, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, really? Is that, we, we, just, we just know. We just know what's going to cause an argument. We just know that we're that, it doesn't, here's what's sad. Satan knows what it takes to divide us, and he's doing it so well right now. I've never seen, you talk about a divided nation, I'd say, look at the church is way more divided. And that's why the nation's divided. Satan started in the church first. I've never seen more people get so petty over this last year than I have. Got so petty. You say, Pastor, there was all this stuff that was going on. We can have a side conversation about that. All I say is there's a lot of information coming out now that all of us last year could have used. So let's not get in those directions, but let's just say, really? We let little things just separate us. I thought the bonds of fellowship that bind us, they're the ties that bind. What are those ties that bind? It's the Holy Spirit. It's that we are in the family of God. It's that we are blood-bought children of God. We are bound together. We're going to spend all eternity together. So guess what? I don't have to agree with everything you do, but guess what? I'm for you. I'm on your team. I will pray with you. I will encourage you. I will fight for you. But what I've learned 
is that that's not a two-way street. I've found that that's become a real one-way street. People say, oh, I'm offended. And we've talked about being offended. People find offense as a pastime hobby where it's like, I like being offended. I just need to get mad at somebody every day. That's some of you, and let's be honest. Everything bothers you. Everything does. And I get that. I've got amazing children. I love my children. But I've got one child. I will not name who it is. But everything gets to him. Everything. But then I remember the day he was born. He was mad when he came out. He was so mad. You say, how mad? This mad. He had a fist, and his eyes were open, glaring at me. I was like, whoa. It's a good thing he didn't come out with a little knife or something. I would have gotten shanked, man. Cut his own umbilical cord. He's like, take that. I'm so, wow. Jump back, man. Just savage little kid. And I keep talking to him and said, hey, this is not who I will allow you to become. The world has way too many of you. That's, we don't need more of this. There's way too many Christians who act like this. Everything bothers them. Everything. Everything gets under their skin. Instead of saying, wait a minute, Lord. There's greater, bigger things. These 144 witnesses went through way more. They had to face down the Antichrist. They had to stand up to him. What have I got to deal with? What am I worried about? You see, for whom do you live and labor? You see, their work and their labor follows them. I was reading in Daniel chapter number 12, verse number 3. The Bible says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteous like the stars forever endeavor. Those who are wise will turn people to righteousness. This leaving of a legacy is an act of wisdom on your part. A wise person says, I want to make a difference. Our church is not a church of fools. Our church is a church of people who love God and who are seeking and growing in wisdom. And a wise person will look at the scripture and say, I will shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Thomas Chalmers said this, live for something. Do good and leave behind a monument of virtue that the storm of time can never destroy. Write your name in kindness, love, and mercy on the hearts of the thousands you come in contact with, year by year, and you will never be forgotten. In the early 1990s, which when I used to say, oh, the 90s were like just yesterday, I realized that me talking about the 90s today is like my parents talking about the 60s when I was born. So I get that that's a lot longer ago than it really is. And in the 90s, we would do something called Vacation Bible School. Anybody ever go to a Vacation Bible School, VBS? Man, those were some great days. And we had a guy, he would come out and he would travel, and all summer he would just go to church after church hosting Vacation Bible School crusades. And you would just invite all the neighbors, and you would, you would tell all your friends to come to it, and it was just a blast. I mean, awesome. It was all-you-could-eat cookies and Kool-Aid which is totally unhealthy, but it was just awesome. And being the pastor kid, I got to stay late and just eat more cookies and Kool-Aid. So I was like, this is the greatest week ever. But the guy's name was Mr. Don. I, I was trying to think of his last name, and I couldn't remember his last name because he was always just Mr. Don. 
And he would fly in, and every summer we'd have a different theme, and he would pick a missionary. So every year uh, the theme would be different, and one year he picked a missionary by the man by the name of C.T. Studd. He was a famous cricket player in the 1800s. He went to a prestigious university, Cambridge, there in uh, Great Britain, and he was a very wealthy person. His family was very wealthy. But God got a hold of his heart, and he was called to go to the mission field, to go to the country of Africa. And C.T. Studd surrendered everything. As a matter of fact, his father passed away and left him his entire fortune, which at the time was, uh, was just worth millions and millions of dollars. And he said, this money will keep me from the mission field, so I'm going to give it all away. So he gave some to D.L. Moody's, uh, the Moody Bible Institute, he gave some to George Mueller's children's homes, the orphanages that George Mueller was starting up. And he gave some to the Salvation Army. And he would give it away to see these great endeavors go forward as he went to the mission field. Well, C.T. Studd poem, penned a famous poem. I've mentioned part of it, but until a few days ago, I had never read the whole thing. But I love it. It's this. He entitled his poem, Only One Life. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bring conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each only one life. Here was this famous evangelist who said, as I look at my life, I got some choices. I can follow my devotionals or I can live for devotion because my works are coming after me. You're going to leave something behind, Christian. What is it exactly that you're going to leave? What will be said about you? It's been wisely said that there are resume values and then there are eulogy values. It's what you say about yourself on your resume. I'm great with people. I am very high on charisma. Here's what I score on the disc. I'm an ENFJ. My Enneagram is this. But it's of what people say about you at your funeral. The people closest to you. Or the lack of what they say. You see, I think too often, you and I are living like we've got all of life but we don't. The writer in the book of James says, life is but a vapor. It appears, and then it's gone. I shared with somebody that I was 37, and they were like, you are not. I was like, what, I look older? They were like, mm-hmm. I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> life is fleeting by. I already told you I felt like the 90s were just yesterday. And now I'm coming across that that was almost 30 years ago. You see, we are living as if we've got all the time in the world, and God's like, no, tick-tock, tick-tock. The end is coming. 
And so we need to work for the night is coming when men can work no more. And church, we've got a great work, an exciting work. We're at a hard place. Bear is not an easy place. It's a spiritual battleground. We're going to talk about that more. But I know that God has called a remnant to say, hey, you guys get it. You're going to build something. You're going to do something. As I call the worship team up, would you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, as we close, as we see that time is fleeting, life is short, that Satan is busy, and sometimes we as your people aren't doing what we should. So, Father, in this moment, may it be a moment of repentance for us, may it be a moment of introspection, a moment where we re-examine our lives, our decisions, re-examine how we've treated the people closest to us, re-examine how we treat our neighbors, the people we come in contact, the people we will meet but once. What kind of impact do we have? What will be said when this life is over? God, our works will follow us. We will leave an influence. May we be the type of people that say, I will live on even after I'm gone. I will outlive my own life. Father, I believe that our influence should be immortal. Not because of pride. Not because we seek popularity. But because you've called us to leave a legacy. A legacy of which people can't help but talk about. Because it's a powerful reminder. Here we are today. We're still talking about the people in the Bible. The Apostle Paul is just as live now as he ever was. The effects of the disciples are just as real now as they ever were. They left a legacy. Father, we mentioned the great names of the past, and they are still alive, though their bodily presence is gone. They left a legacy. Father, may we examine ourselves and examine our choices. May we take inventory of our lives. May we think about how many days we might have left and think about how we're spending our days. Father, would you help us to shine bright? Would you help us live for you? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray for you, church. Maybe there's somebody here that you would say, I don't know if I am a Christian, but today the Lord has been speaking to me, and I will receive Jesus as my Savior. Is that you? You'd slip up your hand. I could pray for you. Anybody like that? Here's a second question. Maybe this morning you've been challenged in some area. Maybe it's an area between devotionals and devotion, where you've been playing both sides. You're not all out for God like you want to be. And you say, Pastor, pray for me. Is that you? Would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Oh, God bless you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you see these hands. And Father, we're just humble people. We're just clay. But Father, we believe you want to do a great work. So we pray now, Father, that you would help us, strengthen us, and guide us. Lord, we need you. 
We pray for those that say they, they want to get their life back on track. Would you be with them, Father? Would you help them? I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's worship this last song together. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.